Tyson Fury versus Dillian White post fight thoughts. Dun, dun, dun. Hey guys, Fight Junkie here. As usual, before we jump into this next episode, I want to remind you guys you can hit me up on Twitter at FightJunkie.com. Follow me on Parlor at FightJunkie. Listen to me on Anchor, Spotify, Google, Apple, Amazon. Basically, anywhere you can find a podcast, I'll be there. You can also subscribe to the YouTube channel. Oh, wait. Hold up. Scratch that. YouTube deleted my channel. Um, let me think. Okay. I got it. You can also subscribe to the Rumble channel. Rumble.com slash Fight Junkie. Want live stream? Twitch.tv slash Real Fight Junkie. Tyson Fury wins inside. We did it, boys and girls. We freaking did it. The cold streak is over. Well, at least for this week, anyway. Tyson did what we wanted him to do. Again, everything I'm going to tell you in reference to the pre-fight podcast, you can check, double check, triple check. Everything I'm telling you, you don't have to believe me. You can go back, check it, make sure I'm telling you what's up is on the up and up. The fact of the matter is, the first thing we need to touch on was the line. So when we did the pre-fight podcast, I thought the line was actually kind of low. I mean, I guess a lot of people heading into this thought maybe that Fury was a little bit less of himself after the three fights with Wilder. And that may be true. You're not going to know because White didn't really test him in that regard. But the fact of the matter is when I first looked at the line, I thought it was low. What was interesting, and we're talking straight lines, what was interesting was as the, as the week progressed and come fight night, the line had actually dropped even more, depending on your book, in favor of White. So that means the money was coming in on White and Fury's line continued to drop. That was really interesting to me. Of course, after the fight, a lot of people all of a sudden thought that uh, Dillian White was just a total turd, a run-of-the-mill heavyweight who never had a shot in hell of beating Tyson Fury. But that's not what was really going on when you look at the public money and where it was shifting. It was all on Dillian White heading up to the fight. So I thought that was interesting. It's not uncommon, to be honest with you. It happens a lot. There's a lot of emotions involved when you're betting your cheddar, your cheddar, your hard-earned money. And so I think that was what most of that was what it was about. I think a lot of people thought White was going to be able to do a lot better than he did. I saw a lot of calls for White to win by knockout. Again, we touched on all of this, his chances, the opportunities he had, how would he be able to accomplish these things in the pre-fight podcast. So I won't go over them too much right now. Again, if you want to listen to that, you can check it out on Rumble. But it was always going to be a difficult task, in my opinion, for White to win the fight, specifically by knockout, even though that was probably the best chance he had. Obviously, the line was if White was going to win, it was going to win inside. That's another reason I'm not sure why all the money was coming in on White straight. That was kind of a that was kind of an unbelievable way to play White because he was never going to do 
what he needed to do to win round after round after round consistently to be able to beat Tyson Fury on points. If he was doing that that kind of damage to win rounds, then he would probably be hurting, dropping, and potentially knocking Tyson Fury out. Now, that didn't happen, but we said if you like White, you're going to take him inside. That was the way to play him. Apparently, everybody jumped on the bandwagon of White, and they took him straight, which makes no sense. Even though he was the underdog, could get the better line and take White wins inside. But the issue here was White isn't a volume puncher. I think I actually used the term windmill in the pre-fight podcast. Like he's not going to throw a whole bunch of punches and set himself up to miss a shot, miss another shot, and then land the third shot. That's not how he fights. And if you're one and done, which he was in this fight, you saw this time and time and time again from the first round on, which why the hell did he come out of Southpaw? That right there, let me touch on this really quick. Like, if the game plan, if this wasn't just something that he pulled out of his ass and came out and switched Southpaw, if this was a game plan going into the fight to switch Southpaw, that was already a red flag on the wall because you don't think you're good enough in your orthodox stance that you have to go out and switch into Southpaw, which obviously he was not very good at in the Southpaw stance either. So you saw immediately in the second round, he came back as orthodox, and Tyson actually switched to Southpaw in the second round. But I thought that was a red flag right there. Like, why all of a sudden are you are you doing a southpaw dance here? It reminded me of one of the old Rocky movies where he trains the switch southpaw. And then during the fight, he's like, no tricks, no tricks. And so he just stays with, or he trains the, to switch uh, orthodox, I think it is, because Rocky's southpaw. So he trains to switch orthodox, and he's like, no tricks, no tricks. And so he doesn't do it. But, yeah, so he, he went back really quick to his orthodox stance and it didn't prove to do much better in that regard but the fact of the matter is we touched on he doesn't throw a lot of punches so if you don't throw a lot of punches and you're not Deontay Wilder and you can only rely on one punch the odds are you're not going to beat Tyson Fury. Wilder was able to get away with it because again he's a much bigger guy than uh, White is and he has tremendous punching power. Even though White can crack he's not on the level of Deontay Wilder and we said that in the pre-fight podcast. So for him to think it was just going to be one and done that would be enough to get the job done. Well you saw that didn't happen. Of course Tyson Fury was pretty much controlling the entire fight. I don't think the fight was actually too entertaining. I think Tyson Fury was pretty much in control, if not dominant. I mean, it's not like there was a lot of leather landed from Fury onto White, especially early, but you could see he was breaking him down. Especially when he started going to the body, I said, here we go, we got a shot for this. Now, the uppercut, boom, blasted out. I know some people were talking about that Tyson landed the uppercut, then the push, and that's why White went down. Then he hit his head on the canvas. None of that. None of that. Well, let me say this. He didn't hit his head on the canvas. That's the first thing. The uppercut landed. That put him straight up stiff, stanky leg. It was over right there, folks. If you want to say the push is illegal, I won't argue with you. If you want to say if the push helped him go down to the canvas, I won't argue with you. But if you think the push... Was the, was the deciding factor in the fight, I will argue with you. If you think the push is what made uh, White get up and not be able to maintain his balance and that's why the fight was waved off, I will argue with you. If you maintain that White hit his head on the canvas and that's why he was so concussed that he couldn't get up and walk straight, I will argue with you. Those things did not happen. The uppercut is what finished that fight. If Tyson Fury doesn't push him, and heaven forbid he lands another shot on White. I mean, that crushes 
Dillian White's soul. That would have been the worst outcome possible for White and any of his fans, anybody that cares about him, because he was completely out of it. This isn't the first time that the uppercut has finished him. It's actually the third time. You had AJ, Povekin in the first fight, and now Tyson Fury. He was done. There's no controversy here. You can say what you will about Tyson shouldn't have pushed him after the uppercut. And I go back to the great Lennox Lewis that liked to hold people's heads. Remember, these guys have a huge advantage over most of their opponents. He would hold the guy's head down and throw an uppercut and knock him out. Like, if you want to talk about illegal, that is illegal. Like, wait a minute, your head movement's a little too good. I'm going to hold you behind your head with my glove, and then I'm going to smack you in the face with my other glove and then I'm going to win by knockout. Yes, it has happened. If you don't believe me, go back and look at his fights and tell me if he wasn't the king of holding behind the head and throwing the uppercut. I think Tyson Fury knows that because in the post-fight interview, he actually said that was an uppercut that Lennox Lewis would be proud of. I kind of I chuckled at that because I'm not sure if he was referencing that, but I certainly thought of that when he said that. Like, yeah, Lennox and the old hold behind the head and throw the uppercut. So this was pretty much what we thought it would be. Even when Tyson Fury was boxing, especially when he started going to the body again, I thought, all right, the, the writing is on the wall here. I wasn't expecting just the one-punch uppercut. I mean, of course, the potential was always there because... Uh, White is vulnerable to that punch, but you're just talking about a, a single shot and it ends the fight. But if we're talking about how it was progressing, I said, okay, there's still an opportunity here that we may see Fury be able to wear him down as the rounds go on, and we may get that 10, 11, 12 that we talked about in the pre-fight podcast. So I was pretty confident, not overly confident, especially with my stanky-ass streak that I've been on, but I was pretty confident that that Fury was going to be able to wear him down and get the inside-the-distance play. I thought, I thought everything was going as predicted as it should and especially again he started working the body uh, the jabs and right hands were coming right down the middle and you could see that white even though he wasn't very active in the beginning he really started staying on the outside more and more his punch output went down even more he was more just standing there and allowing tyson to do whatever he wanted whenever he wanted and so i thought okay eventually these shots one's going to sneak through or he's going to start to get huffing and puffing and then Tyson, you could see at times he put his foot on the gas, take the foot off, put the foot on the gas, take the foot off. And so I wouldn't say he was playing with White, but he was pretty much trying to measure him to see, okay, how much gas does this guy have? How aggressive is he going to be? How much danger am I in with his punching power? You know, is he going to start throwing combinations or is he one and done? Is this going to be the trend throughout the fight? And it was. So then you could see as the rounds went on. Uh, Tyson Fury started getting more and more aggressive with the amount of power that he was putting on his shots. Even when he was moving back, when he stood his ground and threw the shots, he was putting power on it. There was no need to pity pat. There was no need to tiptoe around White anymore because the threat level had dropped dramatically at that point. And then, of course, the uppercut came. So what's next? Well, if you believe Tyson and he stays true to his word, he's done. Like, this was it as far as sanctioned boxing matches go. Why do I say it that way? Because if you don't follow the sport of MMA, there's a heavyweight champion by the name of Francis Ngannou. And this is the guy that Tyson Fury wants to fight next 
but in an exhibition slash hybrid rules type of fight where it's boxing rules, but they wear MMA gloves, which if you don't follow the sport, MMA gloves are four ounces. So this is something that he's looking to do. It's something that he wants to do. It seems to me like he wants to go into wrestling, professional wrestling. Also looks to me like he wants to do exhibition fights, uh, a.k.a. uh, Floyd, uh, Pretty Boy, Money, Mayweather uh, type of fights where he can gather a lot of cash, put on some fun fights, and not risk his undefeated record. I think that's probably what we're going to get unless there's something outside of the ring that really starts to creep into his head. He's no uh, stranger to his his battle with mental illness. He spoke to, you know, pretty much everybody that would listen about what he went through and how important boxing and not only boxing but just training is to his mental health. So that's interesting to me because I'm curious if he doesn't have something lined up. He doesn't have mega fights. You don't have the roaring of the crowd. There's like 94,000 people there tonight. Like, how does he maintain his mental health there? Hopefully he doesn't fall back into the drinking and the drugs and all the issues that he went through before. So I'm not 100% sold on him being 100% fully retired. I think he's going to have to do things that keep him occupied again, whether that's wrestling, whether that's exhibition fights, however, however he wants to work that. But I think he needs to be in the gym. I think he needs to be active with things that get his blood pressure pumping, gets him going, gets his blood, you know, his heart pumping and allows him to maintain his mental health because. That was one of the things we talked about in the pre-fight podcast because he announced this before the fight was even taking place that this was the last fight was that his dad said, you know, he always worried about Tyson not being able to retire in time because this is what keeps him going. And so there is the possibility that when all is said and done and, you know, he goes back to the quiet life and all the bright lights are no longer there, you know, can he maintain that desire to go to the gym every day when you have nothing on your plate, no big fight, no big money fight, you know, nobody screaming your name, like all of these things that all professional athletes go through. That's why you see most of them come back or stay in the game too long. It's like a drug. It's addictive. And so I worry about that with him. Hopefully there are things he can do outside of a sanctioned boxing match that keep him interested enough to keep his physical and mental health in order so we don't see some type of relapse or maybe, you know, he balloons up or comes, you know, a a couple, two, three, four, five years out of the ring and then has to come back because he's not in the right place mentally. I don't think anybody would want to see that. Uh, uh, He's always going to garner the bigger paydays. It doesn't matter if he's out for six months or six years. I mean, truthfully, you know, if he goes out on top like he is, there's always going to be somebody out there that's thinking, you know, I can catch Tyson Fury at the right time. Maybe he's out of shape. Maybe he's not right mentally. Maybe he hasn't been in the gym. Maybe he hasn't been active for two, three, four, five years. And they're going to try to cash in and call him out and try to cash in on his name in hopes that, hey, I can beat this guy. And, you know, anybody that follows the sport would know what the real deal was, but still, it happens. And so that's a concern if you're a Tyson Fury fan. I'm not quite sure how that's going to play out. We'll see if the Ngannou fight actually takes place. Ngannou's having issues with the UFC right now and contract issues. Um, Top Top Rank, who is promoting uh, Fury, 
said that they think the fight can take place. I'm not so sure about that. I don't I don't see the UFC and Dana White necessarily jumping for joy to see Francis go over and fight uh, Tyson Fury. The line came out and Fury's like a minus 500 favorite and Ganu's a plus 4 to 1 underdog. If you don't know who Ganu is, he's considered a striker even though he... He won his last fight by wrestling, but he had two bad knees going into that. But he's considered a big, powerful striker. If you didn't see them two next to each other, I mean, he is a big dude. He's not as tall as Fury, but he's a very muscular, strong guy who's known for his punching power and knockouts. Very dangerous on the feet. And so with four-ounce gloves and a boxing rule set, people are thinking, you know, Kenny landed Deontay Wilder type of punch. And so that's the intriguing part of that fight. Of course, Fury is favorite. Most people think that he could box his socks off, wait for Ngannou to tire, and then drop the hammer and put Ngannou out. Ngannou's shown a tremendous chin in the UFC, but again, he hasn't faced a all-around, you know, professional boxer like Tyson Fury, who's faced and beat the best in the best in his era. That's the other thing. I hear a lot of people talking about that Fury's the greatest of all time. Whoa, now, like I mean, you gotta slow your roll. Like he's done what he's supposed to do against the competition that has has been in his way, and you can't fault him for that. I don't necessarily think it's the strongest division that's ever lived. I mean, of course, the win over Vladimir Klitschko because of how long Klitschko was the champion is super impressive, and still to this day is probably his best win, considering how dominant Klitschko was, how long he had reigned, even if he didn't like Klitschko's style. The facts speak for themselves. He is a long-time reigning champion, and then Tyson Fury went in there and boxed the socks off and won the UD. But when you're looking at the names, I mean, you're looking at Steve Cunningham, you're looking at Derek Chisora, of course, Klitschko that we talked about, Wilder. You got guys sprinkled in there like White and Otto Wallen and Tom Schwartz and Francisco uh, Pianta and uh, Christian Hammer and Joey Abel. I mean, those aren't, I mean, come on, let's be real here. Those aren't like, you know, household names that people are like, those are the best fighters that have ever lived. And even what you say about Deontay Wilder, his biggest threat there was his punching power. You know, in the first fight, uh, it comes out a draw. Most people thought that Fury won that fight. And, of course, we're, uh, uh, Fury wins the second and the third fight via stoppage. But, again, most people didn't laud Wilder for his technique and, you know, what he's done just as a monster in the division. It was pretty much he can lose the entire fight and land a punch. Now, was Wilder a threat? Of course he is. Was White a threat? Of course he is. All these guys are threat? Of course they all bring their own style and their own tools to the game that could threaten a fighter any any day of the week any time like if you're off your game you could lose to any of these guys but when you're comparing who he's faced against the best of the best all time I can't go out on that limb and say that Tyson Fury is the greatest of all time. What I will say is Tyson freaking Fury broke the cold streak, baby. That's it for this episode of Fight Junkie. I will sock it to you tomorrow, baby. Fight Junkie out.